You know, it was, gosh, 20 years ago, I'm, I was somewhere in the Caribbean uh, with scuba gear on, about 60 feet underwater. And the problem with this story is the place I learned to scuba dive was a swimming pool. And, uh, and you don't really need scuba gear in a swimming pool. And, and so I thought I had this down pretty well. And so this friend of mine and I, we, we, we're, in the, we're in the Caribbean and we do our, it was really the first real dive I, I, I did. And, uh, and I don't know if it's, I was so nervous that I used a lot of air quickly or there was something wrong with my equipment, but at some point, I looked at the little gauge and it was on red, meaning I'm almost out of air. And at that moment, um, I, I, I started to panic. And if I was breathing too heavily before that, you can imagine it got a little bit worse. And there was a moment where you're sitting there, we're not sitting there, you're laying there going, there's no way out here. I mean, I'm, I'm in trouble. I, I'm, I'm in trouble. There's, there's no way I can fix this situation. Well, I'll bet you everybody in this room could tell a story of your life where there was a moment where you said, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. If, if something doesn't intervene here, I'm lost. I, I, have, I have no hope without something intervening. Well, the story that we're going to look at today is a story of Noah and the covenant God makes with Noah. And if and I was going to entitle it the sermon, Noah Way Out. <laughs> but they didn't like it that much, so they just said covenant with Noah. But the truth is, if, if the story ended with the first covenant, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham, the covenant of works, because he failed, because of sin, because of our failure, because of our selfishness, because of our deep desire to do life on our terms instead of on God's terms, if the story ended there, it's a hopeless story that just goes to destruction. There, there, it just goes to the point where man finally destroys itself. But that's not where the story ends. Matter of fact, if you want a happy ending, be careful where you stop the story. Because if you stop a good story too early... If you stop a story of glory before it's time to stop that story, you may miss, you may miss the beauty of an unexpected ending, the beauty of a, a glorious ending, the beauty of a, of a story of redemption that lasts forever. So this morning, we're going to look at the story of Noah. Now, let me tell you, most of my life, whenever I've heard the stories of Noah preached, most of the sermons either went with why the ark was big enough or why, or, or a lot of times they were just moral stories, like be like Noah. Noah built an ark when there wasn't any sign that there needed to be an ark, and he built it. Be like Noah. And so usually I heard the story of Noah as either a moral story to be a better person or a scientific story of why it could be possible um, sometimes I, I've heard some apologetics about the fact that there are flood narratives in other religions and they would explain why, you know, the, and, and that was all the stories of Noah. Those are all the sermons I've heard about Noah. Or Noah, the story of Noah was a children's story. You know, where you go a little boat 
and there's a giraffe out the side and line up two by two. And it was a, and it was a story. It was a children's story. I want to tell you, the story of Noah is no children's story. And the beauty of the story is not for us to try harder or for us to look at science. The beauty of the story is God makes a covenant with man, and ultimately in that covenant, he tells how he's going to deal with sin, and he's going to promise that the world will be stable, and he'll limit depravity and let it be stable till he shows his solution and provides that to the world. And that's the foundational covenant that God makes with Noah. And so it's a, it's a great story that we often miss because we, we instead try to ask questions about how could giraffes be in the ark or, you know, what, you know how do they... It's such a more important story than that. It's a story of a covenant. Now, you've heard a lot of people say they have a personal relationship with Christ. And that can mean a lot of things. Uh, it can mean... That, uh, that, you know, remember Jesus says, I'm no longer calling you my servant, but my friend. Some people can talk about that when they talk about a personal relationship. Some people can talk about God the Father. And when, when Paul says it, we can call God Abba, Father, uh, a, a gracious name, an intimate name for a father. Um, some people talk about God as our, as our teacher, as our king. But God's talks about our relationship with him in different ways, but in one way that he talks about his, our relationship with him is as, a, as an unequal partnership for his purposes of glory. Unequal because God doesn't need our help. But an unequal partnership where God makes a covenant with his people to do something that moves toward his purposes of glory. I mean, he created the world in such a way that when he, when he created the world, he said, that is, the, the Hebrew word is tov. That is tov. And, and, and a better translation of that, in your Bible, it'll say that God said when he made creation, that is good. But almost a better translation would be, oh, that's just the way I had in mind. And God says to the creation story, you know the story, and he says, he, he talks about all the different pieces of each day, and he says, that is tov. And the next day, that is tov, that's just as I had in mind. And then he made men and women in his image. And he says, that is very tov. That is very good. That's exactly what I envisioned when I created the world. A, 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 someone that would reflect who I am, an image bearer of God. That would live and flourish. And live for my glory and for my purposes. That was the beauty of the Garden of Eden. That was the beauty of it all at the beginning. And that's when God made a covenant with Adam that we call a covenant of works. He said, you can continue to flourish. You can live for my grand purposes. You can be what I made you to be. Just follow this one directive. But Adam, like you, like me, had a, no, I want to do life on my terms, not your terms. And the consequence of that is sin and depravity. And therefore, God, as we'll find out when we look at this covenant, God hates sin. 
and his creation then starts to spin away into depravity. Now, that's, that's the backdrop for the story of Noah. Because what has happened is the, the story starts to become depraved and, and broken. Well, God then makes a covenant. And remember, a covenant is a relationship that God, that God initiates, God sets up to allow us to participate with him for his great purposes. It's, a, it's not a deal we make with God. It's a, God, it's a deal that God tells us about. So, before we talk more about Noah and the covenant that God makes with him, before we look at his word, let's talk to him. Let's pray to him now this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. It's humbling to think that you covenant with us promise with us to participate with you and in your kingdom come. Father, that humbles us. So this morning, would you meet us here? Would you, as we are remembering the covenant you made with Noah, would you have us remember what it says about you and what it says about us, what it says about our tomorrows? But Father, you know every person here, you are a sovereign God, and you know you brought each person in this room. You know the couple that's fought on the way here. You know the people that are struggling with doubt. You know the people that are struggling with feeling overwhelmed with uh, COVID. You know the people struggling with jobs and money, and well, you know it all. And you brought us here for your great purposes. So would you use this time to, to meet us? change us because we worshiped you and looked at your word together. Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort? And for all of us, would you use it to equip us to participate with you in the, in the glorious, glorious work of bringing your kingdom? We pray all this in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the story takes place. And as you know, things were, things were getting out of hand. The world, had, uh, the world had become so much so that in your Bibles, it will say that God regretted uh, creation. Now, the better translation of that would be the same word that would be used when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. It's not that God regretted it as much as there was a sorrow because it was so different from what it was designed to be, to flourish for God's glory. Instead, it became a, a selfish cesspool of, of, of despair, brokenness. And so there's a place where God sees how the world has become that cesspool of sin and brokenness. And, and there's, a, there's a moment where God himself sorrows over how far that is from very tov. How far that is from, oh, that's very good. And in that moment, um, he says, that, 
I think uh, he he's then finds Noah and begins to tell a new story. He begins to tell a new story of, of redemption because the story doesn't end with depravity, despair, and brokenness. And so that's where we find the story of Noah. Now, some theologians say Noah, there's two covenants with Noah. There's a covenant before the, the flood and a covenant afterwards. I would suggest the same covenant. And so I'm going I'm to teach as if it's one, but don't split a church over it. If you want to say there's two there, it's okay. But it looks to me like it's better to understand it as one. Before the flood, God comes to Noah and says, um, I'm going to destroy the earth because of the sin. And, and it's because that's what it deserves. It's not, it's not what it was made to. Humans aren't flourishing. Humans are broken. Humans are hurting one another. This isn't tove. This isn't good. This isn't the way it was made to be. And I'm going to clear the earth. But I've chosen you, a man, and then his wife, and then his family. And I'm going to provide for you this remnant. I'm going to provide a a way that protects you from the wrath that this world deserves. So Noah's job was to build an ark. He builds, a, builds an ark, insert all sorts of sermons about why the ark, how big the ark is and, and how long it took to make and insert a sermons about how faithful Noah was to do that. Those are all good sermons. Um, and now... The flood is over, and God then speaks to Noah. And I'm going to read from chapter 9. And this, some people, this is the second time the word covenant is used. And, and Seth has been setting up this so well, uh, the idea of, uh, of the way that God deals with his people in, is, is covenantal. And even though it's in the name of our church, I don't think we think covenantal. We think instead uh, more transactional, as if, we are making a deal with God. No, it's God making a truth for us. I'm going to begin at the, at the beginning of chapter 9. The, on, on the screen, it'll, it'll catch up with me when I get to verse 7. This is a little bit of a long passage, but I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand as we read the Word of God together, if you can. If, I, if you get tired of standing, it's okay to sit back down, but, but just... Um, Let's just at least try to stand together as we read the Word of God. I'm reading from chapter 9 of Genesis, starting with verse 1. It says this, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every, and every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your life blood, I will require a reckoning. For every beast I will require it, and for man, from his fellow man, I'll require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whether, whether whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall shed his blood. For God made man in his image. And now what's on the screen. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. 
and every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for the future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is in between me and you and every living creature and all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy the f- all flesh. Then the bow in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is in the earth. And God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh of the earth. God bless the reading of his holy word. You can be seated. You know, one of the things covenants teaches us is how God deals with us. There's a big misunderstanding of of that. We kind of believe that, now I mentioned it before, I kind of sometimes think I'm making a deal with God. Just, just last year when Mona was real sick with COVID, um, I, I, was, I was scared she might die. And this is bad theology, by the way, what I'm about to say. Um, and, and I was really scared. And I remember um, my wife is kind of a, a wild pony that would love to travel the world. And being married to a boring man like me has kind of tethered her to like, you know, not getting very far away. And she's always wanted to see the northern lights. She's always wanted to go to, and, and, and I don't like cold weather, but, but she always has wanted to see the northern lights. And so I, I said to God, if you'll let her live, I'll take her to see the northern lights by next year. And so in March, we're leaving for Alaska for a couple of days, but, and, and hoping to see the northern lights. But that's not how God works. God doesn't work with me cutting a deal with him. God is a covenantal God, and he is setting the terms of life, of hope, of glory and purpose, not the other way around. And so, even though I'm kind of glad we're going to Alaska, that, had, that's, that wasn't based on a deal with God. It was just that God was going to allow her to live. So... I'm going to Alaska. Now, what does the covenant with Noah teach us about God? What does it teach us about man? And what does it tell us of how we should live? First, what does it say about God? Well, I would suggest to you that one of the things it says about God is that God is gracious. How is he gracious? Well, In this covenant, you you both see what people would call common grace and also special or salvation grace. Common grace was for everybody. He promises that he will not destroy the world because of sin and with a flood anymore. And what that means is that we as people know that there's a stability to the world that we can count on. 
that we won't be, God won't pull the rug out from under us and, and all of a sudden change the rules. That God says there will be a stability of seasons. There'll be a stability of, of, that, that you can count on. You can count on the, on the way the world will be. And that's common grace. That's true for Christians and non-Christians. That's true. I mean, Christians get cancer just as often as non-Christians. It's, it's in, in the same amount of rain. How does, how does, uh, how does as Jesus say it, um, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And there's a, there's a way in which that's common grace. Without, without God's grace in our world, to, to, to pull back our depravity, we, we'd be hopeless. We'd destroy one another. I mean, right now, we have the ability to destroy each other with nuclear bombs. And, the, and the, you know the reason they say that they don't press the buttons? It's not because of care for each other, but because they know if they press a button on this side, then they'll press the button on that side, and it'll be mutual destruction of everybody. And so the reason they're not pressing the buttons is not some good where good people getting better. The reason they don't press the buttons is they know that they have the ability to destroy the entire earth. And that, if Christ, if God did not put common grace um, in, in, in a veneer on this world um, and limit our depravity some, uh, we would be, uh, it, 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 it couldn't be explained. And every once in a while, you see that every once in a while in, in the chaos of war or the chaos of, in some places, you'll, that veneer is stripped off and you see the, the ugliness of humanity and, and, it's, and it's hard to see. I remember standing in a church in Rwanda during the, that was a, where people had gathered during the genocide to try to not be killed. And they say that when the people came in, to kill, that the blood rose up to the, to the, to the edge of the, the cloth that was over the, the pulpit. And, and they've turned it into a, a tomb behind the, the church now is just hundreds of, of skeletons. Oh, that's one of those moments where the veneer was taken off and you see what humanity is capable of. You say, oh. So the first thing I want you to notice in this covenant is there's common grace, that God is gracious. There's a common grace. But also notice there's a special grace. There's a grace to, the, to Noah and his family that they were protected from the, the wages of what they deserved in terms of the flood. They were protected. So there's a, there's, there, that God the, the, the saving grace to that remnant that God would protect and provide a way out. That when you think there's no way out, I'm, there's no way out for humanity, there, there's a way out that God will provide a way. That's the God's, God's graciousness. Not only is there common grace in this covenant, there's also special salvation grace in it. Also, notice about God, he hates sin. This is no children's story. The story of Noah is the story of sin becoming so rampant and God being grieved by that. So don't forget, even though God is gracious, and that's seen in this, in this covenant, that God is, is loving. God loves you. 
you're creating his very image. No, all that is true. But he hates sin. He grieves and hates the fact that what he made for very tov, for very good, has turned into destruction and brokenness. So don't, don't forget when you embrace God's graciousness that he is a holy and just God. Because he hates sin. And you can't read the story of, of people drowning because of their sinful behavior and not say, God must hate sin. So first, I'd want you to notice in this covenant, it says about God that God is gracious. There's both common and special grace. Second, I'd want you to know that, that, that this story is not a children's story. It's a story of a holy God who hates sin. Third, notice that God never surrenders his plan and his purpose. Notice in this covenant that God is never surrenders or gives up on his plan to make all things new, all things good, all things the way they were supposed to be. That God never gives up on his plan to redeem, his plan to revive, his plan for hope. So I'd want you to notice at least those three things that, are, that we see in this covenant. This covenant that ultimately teaches us how God will deal with sin and the fact that God will provide a stable world uh, for us to live in. What does it say about man? What does this covenant say about man? Well, it's really easy to talk about that. Clearly, when you read this story, man is broken. See, we, we live in a humanistic age, and a humanistic age focuses on the goodness of man. And so basically, most of our social programs, most of our ideas, a lot of our teaching out, out, out in, the, in the world is kind of based on the idea that we're good people getting better. The problem with that is that's not what the Bible would teach about, the, about humanity. And if we really were good people getting better, You'd think we'd be better by now. I mean, after all, look at all the technology we have. You'd think we'd be a lot better people than we were back then. But it seems like we're not good people getting better. Now, there is dignity in our design. Don't misunderstand. When God designed humanity, he said, very tov, this is good because it reflects who he is. But notice, notice with the clarity of this story that man is broken. We're not good people getting better. We're broken people stubbornly committed to our way instead of God's way. Second thing you see about man, without an ark, we all drowned. Without an ark, everybody drowned. There's, you, you, all of all living life dies without an ark. So, when you think about this covenant, it teaches us a lot about God. It teaches us a lot about ourselves. 
but it also has a beautiful pre-telling of the gospel story. What you'll find in every covenant God gives, and that, that, that Seth's going to share with you, there's Noah, Abram, who becomes Abraham, uh, Moses, and David. In each of their lives, there's a story in their lives, their people, but they also have a story within a story, that there's a way in which there's a story in their lives that points to the gospel story. And this story of Noah is a pre-telling of the story of the gospel. So what's the gospel? The gospel is God, the world deserves, the ways of sin is death, the world deserves death. God chooses initially a family that becomes a people, that becomes a nation, that becomes the kingdom of God, and he saves that remnant through the work of Christ. And just like there was tar, pitch, put along on the inside and the outside of the ark that kept the water from coming on, the blood of Christ keeps and gives us imputed righteousness that allows us to become part of the kingdom of God. That this is a pre-telling of the gospel story. And there'll be a pre-telling of the gospel story in, with Abraham, and there's a pre-telling of the gospel story with Moses. There's a pre-telling of the gospel story with David. God is telling us a story. You know, back when you took Communications 101 and it was speech class, and they would say, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And that was, that's, that was what a good speech is supposed to be. Well, I don't know if that makes for a good speech or not, but God does that in the Bible. He, before it happens, he pre-tells the gospel story. He, he molds history like Plato to say to you, this story doesn't end here. And, and then he retells the story again, says this story doesn't end here. God's people don't end as slaves in Egypt. And then he retells the story again and again. And then he tells the story with, with his own son. And instead of an ark that's covered with tar, there's his son and his blood covers us and protects us from the destruction we deserve. Oh, this covenant is simply a beautiful story, a, a retelling of the story. So when you think about the covenant, think about what it says about God. It tells you that God is gracious. It tells you God hates sin. It tells you that God, his plans will not be thwarted he will not be abandoned. His plans will not be abandoned. About man, it says that we're broken. About man, it says without an ark, we all drown. Also notice in this story, there is the pre-telling of the gospel story. Also, note in this story a covenant sign. What's interesting about this covenant, this covenant doesn't require anything of man because God is just laying the foundation saying, I, I, there's going to be a stable world. This is how I will deal with sin. And then every other covenant, there's something required by, by man. But in this story, what's required is that, um, what, what's required in this story is, is just, this is, what, this is what the truth. And so in the story, um, that there's a covenant sign here. And the covenant sign is the rainbow. And, and God says that whenever you see the rainbow, remember and, and all covenant signs. My ring is a covenant sign. 
My ring is a covenant sign to remind me of the vows I made. And, 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 and it's, not my, it's not my marriage. It's not, it's not uh, if I lose the ring, I'm still married, but it is a reminder of the vow made and the commitment made. Because a, a covenant, one of the things, that, one of the themes of the Bible is that we're to remember, especially when we're struggling in difficult times, we're to remember. And so, uh, the covenant sign, remember, we live life forward, but we understand it looking back. And so as we're living our lives in the middle of looking forward and in despair, we're supposed to look back and remember his promises and his covenant. Remember that we are invited to how to participate in his glory. Um, so what's the so what of this story? Just real quick, uh, just very quickly, just want to talk about some of the, some of the things that, that would be helpful to remember as we go forward. First, I want you to live with a calm sense of urgency in these days. You know, God wrote the New Testament so that every generation believes that this is the generation he'll return because God wants you to live with a sense of urgency. Jesus even said it in Matthew. Listen real quickly to Matthew 24, 36. It says, but concerning that day, talking about the end of times, the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not the sun. That's one of the most fascinating verses in the entire Bible that Jesus himself doesn't know when the end will come, but only the Father. For as we, were, and then Jesus talks about Noah. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So God would want you. What's this? So what of this covenant for you? Be aware that God is laying a theological found, foundation for, for his gospel story for you. But for you today, remember that it, to live with a sense of urgency. What do I mean by that? Know that your days matter. One of the great lies of, the, of, the, of Satan to you is that you don't matter. And what you do doesn't matter. Ah, it doesn't matter what I do today. It doesn't matter. Nobody pays attention. It doesn't, it's not really that big a deal. That's a lie. And you're supposed to live with a sense of urgency, knowing that your days, what you do, and how you live matter. Um, the world says you can't make a difference. God says, no, you're about my kingdom, and, and I've asked you to participate with my story of redemption. And so your life matters, what you do matters for his glory. Second, remember in these, gracious, remember in these crazy times the truth of what we learn about God in this covenant. He is gracious. God is a gracious God. Remember, he hates sin. And remember that wild, humbling thing that God has invited you to participate with him in his story of glory. Oh, that should humble you and excite you and cause your knees to shake. The God of the universe, he doesn't need you, but he wants you to participate. Why? Because when I invite you to do something with me, it, it invites intimacy and connection. And, and that's from the very beginning. God didn't need Adam to help him name animals. He invited him to so that because, because he wanted to let the lesser be a part of the glory and the beauty of his story. So first, live with a sense of urgency. Second, remember he's gracious and he invites you to participate in these crazy times. And last, know that Jesus is your ark. I think it would be irresponsible of me to present this story, the covenant, without mentioning to this church 
if you don't know Jesus, if you are not part of the remnant that's protected by the blood of Christ, oh, don't leave here this day without talking to one of the elders in the back or with me about the, about the saving grace of God. That there is an ark. And that ark is Jesus. And because of his blood that covers, it gives you imputed righteousness and it gives you the ability to work with him oh, in his glorious plan of redemption. So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the ark that saves you, oh, don't leave this day without introducing yourself to that. Remember, in the Old Testament, the water is often used as a sign of chaos. A sign of chaos. And in this picture, you've got an ark that rides over the chaos. The chaos of your life, of my life, of this world. An ark that, that protects the, those people inside, that remnant inside of the consequences. And ultimately, because of the work of Christ, allows there to be a new heart that can participate in God's glory and his great purposes. Oh, and that's the covenant of Noah.